Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You trace my journeys and my resting places and are acquainted with all my ways. Indeed, there is not a word on my lips, but you, O Lord, know it altogether. You press upon me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go then from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you are there. If I make the grave my bed, you are there also. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me, and the light around me turn to night. Darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light to you are both alike. For you yourself created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will thank you because I am marvelously made. Your works are wonderful, and I know it well. Together, glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Privilege this morning to be a part of Psalm 139 uh, with you. Get my act together here. Perhaps uh, some of you saw in last month's Washington Post, our local rag, this article on religion. Um, It says, religion is in trouble. The word religion, that is. It's a word laden with negative, hurtful political baggage, writes Diana Bass, author of Christianity After Religion. It it goes on to say that 20% of Americans not associated with any religious group see religion as too structured and too focused on rules. It also cites a recent Gallup poll saying that 9 in 10 Americans believe in God, more than 9 in 10, and that number has not changed for decades. But David Kinnaman, who's president of the Barna Group, another major research organization, says, people are walking away from institutional expressions of church. They're trying to renegotiate man's relationship to God. So, over 90% of Americans believe in God, but most don't know Him and are trying to negotiate a relationship with Him. Our summer in the Psalm series has been so good because we've been able to see through the eyes of uh, the, the writers, the men who wrote these, and sorry ladies, no women wrote Psalms back then, um, But we've had an opportunity to get to know God through these writings. Uh, People who not only worshipped and served God, but also wrestled with God, who struggled, who were angry with Him sometimes. Um, I was raised in the church and was pretty good at keeping the rules. Just, that's out there, okay? Um, In fact, my wife calls me even now a recovering Pharisee. But don't let that go any further, please. At Virginia Tech... Uh, I met some students who not only shared Jesus with me, but showed 
the reality of Jesus, and I began to examine him, and I came to know him in a personal way. He changed my life. And one of the things I'm grateful for is that I was encouraged to begin to read the Bible every day. And not only the Bible, but also some other good Christian books. One of those which went on to shape my life was a book called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And it's, it's really been one of my north stars for over 40 years now. And the first line in his book says this, the very first line, first chapter, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Again, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And then three or four lines later, he says this, for this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our image of God. What comes to mind when you think about God? What image? What is your mental image of him? Well, in Psalm 139 this morning, we have not only a beautiful poem, but a profound exposition on God. This has been rightly described as David's most intimate, most personal psalm or song. These were probably set to music. Most of the psalms, we don't have that music today. Uh, it's a tender look at God who is creator and director and sustainer of all things. We find here what theologians call God's incommunicable attributes, ones that we as finite beings really can't relate to. Now, many of his attributes or characteristics we can relate to, his mercy, his love, his patience, um, his wisdom, but his omni-attributes, that is, his being omniscient, all-knowing, omni all all-inclusive science, we say, or knowledge, omniscient. His omni omnipotence, all being all-powerful, um, or his omnipresence, his being everywhere present. These are unique attributes or characteristics of God alone. We really can't get our heads around those. Um, sometimes we as parents wish we were omniscient, or omnipresent uh, with, our, with our kids, uh, but um, our kids are really glad we aren't, right? Um, those teens that are still in the room here. Uh, no, we, we, can, we, we, uh, we cannot uh, really identify with these universal eternal attributes of God alone, but we're going to look at those and try to get a, 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 an insight into them. So Psalm 139, this first stanza as I read it, notice the verbs describing God's involvement with us. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me something else about this that strikes me is how personal this is. Twelve times David says, I or me or mine. 
my. Um, God wants to relate personally to each one of us. Verse 2, he knows my outward actions and my inward thoughts. Um, Verse 4, he knows what I'm going to say before I even speak it. Um, And then verse 5, he knows my past, what's behind. He knows my future, what's before. And he's right here with me in the present. He has his hand on my shoulder. Now, as I think about God knowing this much about me, I kind of think the next line or the the feel for this is going to be condemnation or judgment Um, because I don't, God's up here and I'm way, way, way down here in terms of my uh, personal holiness and character. Um, But rather, we have a sense and we'll see as we go on that David has a sense of of security. Uh, There's more a a feeling of of acceptance that this, this is true, but but God accepts me, knowing me. And isn't this what each of us really longs for more than anything? The security that comes from being fully known and yet fully loved. Something that no human can fully provide me, if we're honest about it, no matter how much he or she loves me. I have a best friend, Norm. We, we both came to Christ at Virginia Tech, and we've walked life together, the ups and downs and ins and outs. I've had been in some great small groups where I've been supported by other brothers. And I hope you will be thinking about small groups as we move towards small groups this fall. Um, I've got a wonderful wife who loves me and accepts me, but, you know, as great as she is, she, she doesn't do it perfectly. And I have to recognize that only God can accept, know me fully and accept me or love me unconditionally. Um, He knows me fully. He accepts me. What is David's response to all this? Let's look at the next stanza. His, His circuits are overloaded. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It's like David saying, whoa, I mean, this, this is, this is too much. I'm just in sixth grade, but this is high school material or grad school material or whatever he might go on to say. Um, and I love David because he's so honest. Not only does he say this overwhelms me, but then in light of the fact that sometimes he's not in the best place with God, he feels like he wants to escape or run from this God who knows all about him. Notice what he says next. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Who else do we know who wanted to flee from God in Scripture? Yeah. That very same word is used in Jonah, the book of Jonah, where it says, Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. Instead of going to Nineveh as God had asked him to, commanded him to, (laughs) which was uh, 500 miles to the east, Jonah headed the opposite direction toward Tarshish, a thousand miles to the west. And if you don't know the rest of the story, you can read it in that, in that book. Um, don't recommend trying to flee from God for long. Um, but go on. Let's see. What, what does David say here? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there, the place of the dead or the lower parts. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Note the polarities we have here. Up to heaven. If I go up there. If I go down to Sheol, um, Israel being on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean, um, the picture here is David envisioning him flying with the dawn of the morning west as the sun goes to the far stretches of the oceans, uh, the uttermost parts of the seas, as he says. He can't escape by going higher or deeper or further. Nor can darkness conceal him. It's all alike to the one who separated light from darkness on the first day of creation. God is everywhere present. He's our inescapable environment. Darkness in the Old Testament often refers to danger, disease, or death. And we see David's ambivalence here. He wants to flee, and he says, if I go here, if I go here. But then look in verse 10, he says, and yet God is leading me so I don't get lost. He's holding me so I don't stumble or fall. Even in our pain, heartache, disappointment, when we want to turn away from God, deep down, we know he's still there. He's still with us. We've talked about one of the idols here in our community in Vienna, Virginia. Um, Idol in the little sense of a little God that can usurp the place of the one true God, okay? How one of the idols here in Vienna is having a great family, the perfect family, okay? Successful kids who just happen to point us in all humility to <coughs> successful parents. Um, George and I, years ago now, actually taught some seminars on parenting and marriage until we had teenagers, okay? <laughs> Our two children uh, knew that in our home, privileges were linked with responsibilities, and we tried to discipline with love, um, but they didn't always catch that, okay? They didn't always agree with us. Just this past week, as I was going through some old papers, this is, this is true, I ran across a handwritten note from our then 15-year-old son. Now, he didn't usually write notes, but he was at a place where he didn't even want to talk. Um, Luke had saved up for a disc man. Some of you remember that cutting-edge technology, Okay, um, I don't recall what his crime was that day, but I told Luke he had to wait a week before buying his disc man. And here's, here's his note to me in full. Dad, you're the worst father. Oops, and then he puts, and he goes back and above that writes Christian father. Okay, so let's stab it a little more, you know, twist the knife. You're the worst Christian father and parent a son could ever want. I hope you're proud of yourself for screwing up parenthood. And then a line right before his signature, underlined, I wish I had another father, Luke. Well, I can laugh about it now, and he can too. Um, Luke's a parent himself now with two kids, not yet teenagers. In fact, we're driving down tomorrow to Chattanooga to be with uh, him and, and his uh, family, and we have a, have a great relationship. But sometimes the lessons are, are harder. 
uh, with our daughter. After a period of acting out, she was two and a half years younger than Luke. After a period of acting out in high school, she had an unplanned pregnancy. At age 19, brought a beautiful little baby girl into our family. Those years of turmoil took a huge toll on our family and on our marriage. George and I are very thankful for the support of good friends and uh, a gifted counselor who helped us through those, those few years. And we wrestled with, not only wrestled with each other <laughs> sometimes in our marriage, but we wrestled with God over, over this. Georgie put it this way, um, that was a dark, dark time. I was very disillusioned and even stopped praying for months, questioning if my prayers over all those years had done any good at all. But God is our inescapable environment. Even when in our pain, heartache, or disappointment we turn away from Him, He is waiting to embrace us. And He can turn darkness into light. Look with me at the next stanza, uh, one that you may be more familiar with. Uh, verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you, Lord, when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God formed my inward parts. Literally, the Hebrew is kidneys there. And it's used like we use the word heart figuratively. Like, boy, doesn't she have a great heart? Um, or, or soul even. We could say soul. He formed my inward parts, the inner me. And he also formed, verse 15, my frame, my skeleton, my physical body. And it says, he intricately wove me together, verse 15, the last part. Um, in the depths of the earth, that's poetic for the darkness of the womb, before my human form was even recognizable. Some of you know that for 14 years, Georgie and I lived in Europe and ministered to, um, let's see, I had something right on the stage here earlier. Oh, it's behind here, okay. Uh, we, we lived in uh, Europe and ministered behind the Iron Curtain, mostly in the country of Romania, Okay. Okay. Thank you. It's way back there, not just right at the edge of the curtain, I guess. Okay. Um, and uh, most of our focus, thank you, that's what I want. Most of our focus was on Romania. And on our last trip there, a dear friend who was a very talented artist, uh, a lady who was in her 60s at that point, um, gave us this weaving. Uh, she got raw wool from the shepherds up in the mountains outside of Cluj, Romania. She would uh, clean it, cart it, rove it, spin it into yarn, and use plant dyes to make some of the brilliant colors that you see here. This original work of art is uh, less than, what, less than two feet by three feet, but it represents scores of hours, maybe hundreds of hours, I don't know, of, of love and labor. 
weaving together thousands of strands of, of yarn to make this uh, tapestry. How much more God's creative expression in your life, in my life. David says, I'm a wonderful work of handcrafted art by the creator of the universe, by you, Lord. As the old southern preacher said, God don't make no junk. We're special creations. Not only has God known me from day one, as verse 16 says, but he wrote down in his book every day of my life before I was born. In his omniscience and foreknowledge, God knows each day up to when I will take my last breath. Now, there's, there, are ep- there are ethical implications of God knowing me and being with me from conception to birth. The ancient Jews, the early Christians, and believers throughout the centuries have said that abortion and active euthanasia are wrong. God is in charge of life, and we cannot put ourselves in the place of God. Now, in saying this, I am not making a political statement. Remember, David wrote this psalm millennia before our culture wars. Each of us is faithful, fearfully and wonderfully made by God, and he has numbered each of our days. And David stands in awe of God's intimate knowledge and personal presence with him. Look at verses 17 and 18 with me. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. Precious is a word used just like we use it for gold or or valuable gems. David can't begin to grasp not only the value of God's thoughts, but the number of times he thinks about him. Now, David was more familiar in Israel with desert sands. You and I are probably a lot more familiar with beach sands. In fact, some of you probably just came back from the beach. Um, but can't even begin to think of counting the grains of sand that I could hold in my hand, much less the sands in the oceans and deserts of the world. God thinks about me a lot. <laughs> he thinks about me a lot. And at this point, I thought about playing a couple bars of the 1965 hit by the Wii Five. You were on my mind. Remember that one? Oh. But I thought better of it, so I didn't, I'm not going to play it. Um, point being is you are always on God's mind. I wish when I was a teenager that I had known God, that I was God's work of art that I was always on his mind. I was skinny, insecure, not very athletically coordinated or talented. I was always concerned about other kids accepting me or to thinking I was cool. (laughs) Every time I was near a mirror, passing by or near a mirror, I'd stop to check to be sure my Princeton haircut was was laying laying down because I'd had a a flat top up until ninth grade and then I started combing it over in high school. I recall one day at lunch, a burly, barrel-chested guy, a football player named Jay, who we had a lot of classes together, uh, didn't hang out a whole lot together, but 
I, I was wearing my new Banlon shirt. That was a polyester shirt that kind of had cling in the sleeves and around the waist part. And uh, Jay says, Edens, you're so skinny, your Banlon shirt won't even cling to your arms. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember that. In fact, about 10 years later, we were married, and Georgie asked me once, I think it was maybe the first or second summer we were married, why, why do you wear so many long sleeve shirts, even in the summer? Well, I realized that unconsciously, I, was, I had internalized and believed what Jay said about me, that I was skinny, that my arms were, need, you know, and not what God said about me, even though I'd come to know him uh, six, seven years before that, um, that I am wonderfully and fearfully made just as I am. Okay, in what, a week or so, school starts up. Some of you kids are worried that, you know, your hair is weird, you're too short, or you're too tall, or you're too skinny, or you have a zit, or a crooked tooth, or, or, or. Well, we adults struggle with stuff too, don't we? Let's be honest. Oh, I'm gaining weight. I'm getting bald. I'm getting gray. Where did that wrinkle come from? Um, I'm worried about my job or my kids or my health or, or, or. Our New Testament reading from Jesus' teaching and what we call the Sermon on the Mount reminds us that God feeds the sparrows and adorns wildflowers with beauty. And I am much more valuable than they are, he says. Jesus brings a point home, I think, when he says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father, we've been talking about this, knows. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God knows everything about you. He's always with you everywhere you go. He's always thinking about you. From the moment you're conceived to your last breath, he knows what's going to happen. So why be anxious? Why worry? He promises to provide for us, to give us what we need. And verse 33 assures us that if we put him first, everything else will work out. That's what I like to think of that verse. Put God first and everything else will work out. Um, amazing promise. Flipping back just for a minute to, to uh, Psalm 139. At the end of verse 18, David says this. He says, when I awake, I am still with you. Now, this is not just getting out of bed in the morning, although it applies to that. But Psalm 17, the same phrase is used where David refers to dying and awaking in God's presence, seeing him face to face. Not only in my darkness does God bring light, but in my death, he brings resurrection. We have a far more complete understanding of this than David did because we're on this side of Jesus where David was after Jesus. We can look back where J J David was looking forward or toward Jesus the Messiah or his Messiah coming. Um, I like the way Tim Keller contrasts David and Jesus. He says, here we see David in this psalm and God is turning light into darkness into light for him. 
we look at Jesus on the cross, at the bright noon of day, God turns light into darkness. David has God's hand to lead him and protect him. He, he can't get away from his presence. And yet for a moment on that cross, Jesus, David's greater son, is abandoned by the Father. And he prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did the Father withdraw his presence from Jesus? Because at the moment of forsakenness, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for me and for you. I sin. I live my life without regard for God. Even today, even getting ready for this message, there was a sense of anxiety sometimes about how am I going to come across or am I going to get my point across or whatever. Um, And I sin, but God says, the wages of that sin, death, separation from me, have been paid. Jesus died on the cross so that my sin, I didn't have to bear the burden of that sin. Jesus bore it. And, excuse me, I can know God in a personal way because Jesus was separated from the Father for that instant and took on my sin. God wants you and me, his special works of art, to enjoy a relationship with him now on earth and forever in heaven. Psalm 139 has a few more verses, but I think we have enough to think about now. We've dug around and discovered some diamonds, but there are many more here. I hope you'll read and reread this psalm and the Bible, um, letting it inspire your heart and inform your mind. But I want to end where we started. Just, in fact, I'd, I'd like us to read this together, this one line. If you'd read with me, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Our omniscient God knows everything about us, where we'll be this week, what the first day of school is going to look like, what that new job is going to look like, what that meeting you've got to chair is going to look like tomorrow morning. Our omniscient, our omnipresent God, everywhere present, is always with us to lead us, to guide us, to protect us. God loves me, and I can have a sense of peace and security and rest, um, feeling safe because he's that kind of a God. Please, uh, please join me in prayer. And it, actually, before I pray, I just want to say, too, um, you know, I'm happy to talk with you or Johnny Wood um, if this has raised any questions or you have thoughts about this relationship with God or anything else after service or to pray with the prayer team during communion or afterwards up here. Please pray with me. Father, we, you have searched us and known us. You know when we sit down. You know our thoughts. You're acquainted with all our ways. And we praise you that because of Christ, 
we have nothing to fear. You never let go of us, Lord, because of what Jesus, because Jesus let go of you for that instant and paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. Thank you, and we praise you in his name. Amen. is coming for the heart that holds on there will be an end to these troubles but until that day comes still I will praise you still I will praise you I can see the light that is coming for the heart that holds on There will be an end to these troubles, but until that day comes, still I will praise you, still I will praise you. Oh no, never let go through the calm, through the storm. Oh no, never let go every high. Every low, oh no, never let go, Lord, you never let go of me. Sing that one more time. Singing, oh no, never let go through the calm, through the storm, oh. 